I want to talk to you about some things that are very, very important to believers. Each one who knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, especially if you have made him Lord of your life, you're going to be traveling your journey between now and eternity in heaven. Depending upon the love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God. The love of God kept strong by his grace and mercy. Those are two pillars of his marvelous love. We used to define these two words so that we could remember the truth that they taught. Uh, one was, and I know you have a page for notes that came with your bulletin, so haul them out and uh, write the word grace in a vertical column off to one side of your notes. You might like this. G-R-A-C-E. Top to bottom. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. All that we have, all that we are, all that we can rejoice in, we have because of Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, who in his own body on the tree on the cross at Calvary so very long ago became sin for us. The one who knew no sin became the personification of sin for each one of us. Grace. God giving to us what we do not deserve. Mercy. God not giving us what we do deserve. Grace bestowing good gifts. Even though we don't deserve them. Mercy holding back on giving us those things that we do deserve. James, in the first chapter of his letter to believers, says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. 
God does not vary a little bit. Every good thing given is a perfect gift from God. Every good thing. Jesus was speaking one day to a young Pharisee who asked him this question. Good teacher, um, what must I do to inherit salvation? Really? I'm sorry, that's not one of the things you can inherit. No, I would have said that. Jesus said, to the point, why do you call me good? Because, you see, they taught that the only good one was God. So if you're going to be kind enough and nice enough to call me good, why don't you call me who I really am? Why don't you call me God? Oh, that would have been a little bit too much. Sorry. Every good thing, that's grace. What God withholds doesn't make us go through, even though we ought to suffer at certain times, withholds that from us. That's mercy. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, says this to them concerning his friend Epaphroditus, who served with him. Philippians 2.27, talking about Epaphroditus, for indeed he was sick unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. God gave mercy to both of us. And God is just as great in his mercies as he is in his graces. Proverbs 28 tells us that he who covers his sins shall not prosper. That is, if you don't admit to God about the sinfulness that is present in your life, you will not prosper. I will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. That's a great promise. If you ignore telling God about the condition of your heart at the present, right now, if you cover that and pretend before God that it does not exist, you'll not prosper. 
it won't turn out for good. But he who confesses and forsakes them, meaning to agree with God that that is sin, whatever it is in your life that you're thinking about right now, maybe, or you ought to be thinking about right now, and you are willing to tell God about it, God, I agree with you that that is sin. Your word says that it's sin. I believe that it's sin. And since you and I agree that it's sin, Lord, guess what? It's going to be sin tomorrow. And the day after that, and next week, and next year, and on and on. And it'll always be sin. Because that's all sin is. Is sin. And we cannot present to God anything that is nearly as pure and clean and holy and righteous and godly as he is. In fact, the word of God says in the book of Isaiah, for all of our righteousnesses, plural, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. Filthy rags. And if you were going to study that word, you would not find that filthy rag at the local automobile repair place. You know, where they change your oil and grease your car, collects dirt and all that stuff. No. That's not the kind of rag it is. But it's filthy nonetheless. There are so many occasions in God's word where we can identify with somebody else in the word of God that's going through some of the things that we are going through. And the Apostle Paul talks to them as well. He tells about the Old Testament saints' experiences. The reason they were going through those experiences are the same reasons that we go through experiences with life and living and the difficulty of life and living rightly and godly in this present world. Their experiences were theirs to learn by as examples for them as they were going through it. Theirs to learn from. Theirs to hear God say, no, not that way, not that way. That's a bad way. That'll come back to bite you somewhere along the line. 
don't go that direction. Or, yes, that's the way I want you to live. That's what I want you to do. Keep doing that. Make that your goal for the day, for the week, for the year. Keep doing what is right to do in the sight of God. Don't you love the passage from Psalms? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's a whole bunch of stuff there, right? Did you get it all? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That means that when we're walking through life, that the word of God can show us the lamp of the word of God can highlight where my feet are. And the light also will show us where the path is and where your feet are in relationship to the path. And if your feet are not on the path, well, the word of God is good for correction. That means, Don, this is the way. Walk in. This is where your feet are. This is where the path is. And your feet are on the path. Keep going. Or, whoa, Don, just a minute. This is where the path is, and this is where your feet are, and your feet are not on the path. So this is how to make a mid-course correction. Get your feet back on the path. Get your feet back on the path. And then God's word not only tells us that it's off, but when to get it back on the path and how to do that. And the word of God is good for training in righteousness. Ah. That's so we can keep our feet on the path. That's a good way to live. And it's a good way to hear God say, this is the way. Walk ye in it. So, Well, the Old Testament saints had their experiences to teach them. And so the New Testament saints, when they're reading about the Old Testament saints, say, whoa, they didn't do that, right? I know. I know. They didn't do that, right? 
what they did, what they went through, their experiences, their failures, their good points, we can learn from. New Testament saints learn from reading about those Old Testament saints. Well, Paul, in writing his letter to the church at Corinth, and he's speaking of those Israelites that um, were struggling on their way from Egypt to the land of promise. I mean, they were struggling. Why? Because of their unbelief. How do you know? Because they were griping and complaining and grumbling. And gripers and complainers and grumblers are just not living the way they ought to be living or they wouldn't be griping, complaining, and grumbling. And to the church at Corinth, he wrote, Now these things happen to them as an example for them to live by. And they were written, or they were written down, for our instruction. Instruction that is more than simply teaching. More than simply telling, it is an admonition. It is an exhortation. It is a warning. There are those times when we draw out of the word of God those things which tell us, Don, don't do that. Don't make that choice. Don't continue to do that. And we're admonished, we're warned, we're exhorted. Please don't do that. Be obedient. You can write that passage down along with the others that I've mentioned in your notes. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. In looking back at grace, the word as it's used in scripture, grace is a person. Yeah. Grace is a person. Really. Titus 2, 11 says... For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God appeared. When Jesus came upon the scene, on the earth, when God sent him here, when the Father sent him here, and he began his ministry, his teaching, his preaching ministry, Bringing salvation to all men. 
making salvation possible. So possible, well, it's kind of easy to get a grip on that kind of salvation that Jesus brought. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. To live sensibly, that means with yourself. Sensibly. And righteously, that means with others. With your family, with your friends with the folks at church and godly yeah you need to be right with God too in this present age and all the time that you're dealing with that what ought you to be doing looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Grace is a person. Grace is also a plan. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's God's plan. Grace. For by grace, you have been saved. Through faith. And that, that salvation not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, the free gift of God, not as a result of works that you have done, that you have accomplished, so that no one may boast. No, Jesus did it all. All to him I owe. Grace is also a provision. Hebrews 4.16 Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, Open your Bibles. Oh, really? Yeah, this is a Bible church. Open your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. It is an Old Testament book. The book of Jonah. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It is one of the minor prophets. Not because it's not important. Not as important as... Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, but it's minor because it's short, <laughs> because there are not that many words. And we're not going to use the whole book. We're going to use a little bit of it. But it has to do with the way we approach life and what we do with what's presented to us. 
The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, God is not saying, I have become aware of their wickedness. No, nobody gave me a report. God doesn't need any reports. He knows everything that's going on. Go to Nineveh because their wickedness has come up before me. Meaning, right smack in my face. Their wickedness is such an affront to me that I can feel it closing in on me. And it's their wickedness. And I want you to cry against it. I want you to speak against it. Now right here we're not told what he should say. But that's all right. Jonah didn't care that he wasn't told what he should say. Verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. Oh, he rose up to flee somewhere from the presence of the Lord. He's going to flee to someplace and flee from the presence of the Lord. You've got to be kidding me. To flee from the presence of the Lord. But he's going to flee to Tarshish. So he went down to Joppa. That's a city on the coast. And there is a harbor there. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship. Which was, you got to be kidding. Going to Tarshish. Imagine all of the good luck. That's where I wanted to go. And I came down and there's a ship and it's ready to go to Tarshish. That must be an omen. That must be a sign from God. No, no, Jonah. Get your head on straight. He found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid the fare. Oh, somebody was going to make money off of him. That's all right. He was going to Tarshish, which guess what he knew? It was the opposite way of Nineveh. Not only that, but it was at the far western end of the great sea that we know as the Mediterranean Sea. And he paid the fare, because going somewhere where God didn't send you, and finding out that it was an easy thing to do, 
he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He was a prophet. Prophets are supposed to know the word of God. Prophets are supposed to be admonished by the word of God. Prophets are supposed to preach the word of God. Prophets are supposed to warn people about their sinful condition. Prophets are supposed to do that. Not run from the presence of God. Oh, but that's what Jonah was doing. Satan was ready and willing to help Jonah go where Jonah wanted to go, even though at face value it was a ridiculous choice. Why? Well, because in the word of God, he says in... Where did I find that? Oh, I lost that. Psalm 139. Oh, there you go. Don remembered it. Psalm 139. Beginning to read in verse... Uh, verse 7. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from somewhere where you're not? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night and even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. In other words, I can't go anywhere in all of your creation where you are not present. I cannot go from your presence. That was a dumb idea. But I'll tell you what. God would give him a second chance. Aren't you glad for second chances? Second chances. A do-over. We used to do that on the playground. You could get a do-over, a second chance on the 
playground. All you had to do was know the right word. Dibs. I, I said dibs. That means I got that first. Dibs. You have to give me that. Dibs. Yeah. You can't get away from God. Satan's ready and willing to help you move away from God. But that's Satan. And he doesn't have anything good in mind for you or me. And God is always, always, always ready and able to be the answer to your every need. Need to know where your feet are. Need to know where the path is. Need to know how to be happy in this present earth. Well, my favorite poet in all the world has this to say about what we have been thinking about. He, God, giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater, sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he adds his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his riches, infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Or I could read the last line again. Out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he graces and graces and graces again. Because that's the kind of God he is. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy, your strength and your grace. We pray that you will bestow that in abundance upon us as we seek your face. Not to move away from it, but we seek your presence to be led and directed by you. Make that a reality for each one of us. As the writer to the Hebrews said, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, thank you for loving us in such a way. In Jesus' name we pray. And take us to our homes in safety, in obedience, and in trust. In your love, your grace, and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.